Hi, welcome back to the Matron Saint of Nightmares podcast. Again, I am the Acolyte. And I am the Matron. Uh, welcome to uh, October. Um, this is going to be our first episode in uh, probably, hopefully, a more themed October. We still don't know which ones we're doing, but we're going to pick some classics um, yeah. and make October, Halloween month, uh, a more fun one. So... Uh, Today we watched a movie came out in 2018. Yes. Uh, it was a remake of an Italian movie called Suspiria. Um, and was it Italian? The I think it was movie? originally Italian, yeah. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah. Yeah, so Suspiria, which is the original, is a classic and they remade it, and it was like such a big deal when they remade it, mm-hmm. um, because Suspiria is considered one of like the like quintessential classic horrors. Yeah. Um, and one of the things that makes it really interesting is it takes place in uh, Berlin during the German autumn, mm-hmm. where a lot of political events were happening, including um, like the Bader Meinhof gang and the Red Army faction um, were doing some like. Guerrilla warfare tactics. Doing a bit of terrorism. Doing doing some terrorism. Um, And were... It was a very, obviously, like, politically tense time Mm -hmm. with a lot of different power dynamics at play. And those kind of reflect the the themes of, like, power Mm -hmm. um, that the movie talks a lot about. Yeah. And uh, we didn't watch the original. Um, Neither of us have seen the original. Uh, But this one... Um, from what I've read online, is supposed to be more of an homage rather than a, a real like direct remake. Right. Um, and this one is about um, essentially a young woman, an American woman, that uh, travels to Germany to audition for a dance troupe. Um, and uh, she she auditions and quickly actually gets accepted and and moves up in the sort of hierarchy quite quickly. Um, and, uh, uh, as things play out, you find out that this dance troupe is run by a coven of witches and there's some power dy- dynamics at play. Um, and, um, there's, I think three mothers that are vying to be essentially the leader of the coven. Right. Um, and a bunch of stuff happens. A bunch of stuff. It's, it's also really fascinating that the main character, um, Susie, she's from Ohio, but she is from an Amish community in Ohio. Mm, right. Which is also, like, very interesting. So she does, they have, like, some flashbacks of her getting, like, punished. She mm-hmm. talks a little bit about how it was, she had to sneak out to go see dances, dance performances, and had to hitchhike and mm-hmm. all of these things. So she's essentially been dreaming of living in Berlin for her whole life. And, right. um, and this dance company is kind of, like, the antithesis of every, of what people back home would want for her. Mm-hmm. And so it's like a real strong act of rebellion. And also it seems like the coven, the witches, um, the dance company kind of embrace things that she was taught not to embrace. Mm-hmm. And so there's some element there, I think, of like power for her. Yeah. Where, you know, she she dives in and gets committed very quickly. Yeah. Yeah. And because of the contrast of what's different is so stark that she's able to kind of be like, well, this is what I was looking for, you know? Right. And it's interesting because, uh, yeah, because she does say uh, right after the audition, they're like, you know, we've accepted you into the troupe. If you need some time to go home and get you some affairs in order and come back, she's like, 
Ready to go. <laughs> no, not going back. <laughs> Put me in, coach. I'm cool. Yeah. <laughs> I'm ready. <laughs> Tap me in. Yeah. And that's, yeah, that's pretty interesting. And I think that there's, there's so much in this movie, like, as far as symbolism and cinematography and just, like, the, the complexity of the characters that we could talk about for, like, you could do, like, a, a year-long class on this movie. Yeah. Um, so I think we're going to skip over, you know, some things that we could talk about and talk about just some, like, some big themes that we noticed. And, yeah. Um, and the first thing that I kind of wanted to touch on was um, in the very beginning of the movie, one of the first scenes is uh, Patricia, who is a member of the dance troupe, goes to see her doctor. I'm assuming a psychiatrist or a, a psychologist, although I don't think we ever know. I Yeah, I think he's described as a psychoanalyst on, oh, the, okay. uh, on, the, on the internet. On the interwebs. Yeah. But that's like kind of like what it was back then, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So like, yeah, probably like, yeah, it's... Jungian kind of era, um, like post Jungian. Um, he talked about Lacan right. um, a little bit, so like really psychoanalytical. And it's it's interesting that um, for me as a clinician watching that scene, like I worked with, I primarily work with people who are like struggling right now with um, PTSD and addiction. But um, in the past, I worked primarily with folks who were struggling with from psychosis mm. and delusional disorders. And so I think it's it's really interesting to watch kind of how he interacts in that way. Mm-hmm. And I think that, you know, that's something, too, that, like, old psychoanalysts kind of, or the old kind of era of psychoanalysts didn't necessarily give the same amount of credence to, like, delusions and um, hallucinations that we do now. Mm. What do you mean were, by that? So they were more probably dismissive of people's delusions or I think they were more looking for like the symbolism within them okay and now we kind of have this idea that like sometimes there's symbolism and sometimes there's not I have a a really good friend who um is a psychologist and had hallucinations um and she described it I I tried one time to ask her like what do you think the meaning was in all of that you know and she said um honey there's no meaning I just saw some shit. I just saw some crazy shit. Okay. Right. Uh, so I okay. think like... So it's almost the other way around from what I was describing. It's like, actually, they were trying to interpret something and trying to find some sort of value, something of value from the specific delusions or psychosis. Right. But maybe nowadays it's just like, well, actually, you just saw some stuff. Yeah. Or like, maybe let's make sure you're safe first and then we can explore if there's any deeper meaning, right? Mm -hmm. Or if there's any like value associated with some of the things that you saw. So like the first thing that I thought, um, I was like, uh, back to our quarterbacking, um, the backseat quarterbacking, the, what he was Backseat driver? I don't know. I'm mixing metaphors here. (laughs) What am I saying? You're just trying to... Anyway, <laughs> to judge him. <laughs> yeah. 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 Well, we, we, let's make a critique on it, right? Yeah. Like, because uh, you, you had a reaction during the movie and because and, I think he, he was doing something that, I mean, and I don't understand much of it. So uh, walk us through it. Okay. So she comes into his office, not scheduled for an appointment, and she is like speaking erratically, moving erratically. Um, she's obviously very distressed. So in that situation, um, I would, if it were me... Um, the way that I have been trained and the way I've worked is that my first um, thought would be to her safety because she's mm-hmm. acting very erratically. So I would try to get her into a room with like limited stimuli. Oh, okay. And then I would try to ask her um, more like probing questions about the voices she was hearing. Okay. Um, because there's different levels of risk. If somebody's hearing voices that are very nice to them, very kind, 
that's one level of risk. That's not like a huge risk. It shows that they're having some sort of psychosis coming from somewhere. It could be a million different things. Mm -hmm. Um, But there's not a risk of the voices giving them like commands. So somebody who's having command hallucinations, that's where the voices tell you to do things. Um, That is way more at risk, right? Because um, it's harder for the person to determine what they want to do and what the voices want them to do. Okay. And it's harder to keep track, right? And voices can often give people command hallucinations to hurt themselves or hurt other people. Ah, uh, okay. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, And so that would be my first um, strategy with her. I would try to ground her in a way. I would ask her if it would be better. You know, some folks I've worked with, it's better for them if they have music on, like some kind of music that they like to tune out the voices. Okay. Um, sometimes, actually, which is really fascinating, sometimes people have candy in their mouth and it helps them focus like mm. ground them a little bit give them something like physical physical to interact like with. sour candies yeah. or something okay. um ice cubes that's like a classic dialectical behavioral therapy distress tolerance tool so you like hold oh, ice an cube, ice cube. holding okay mm-hmm. like things like this to cr- try to ground her and help her kind of realize that she's separate from the voices that she's hearing mm. so i think in that point it would be really important to ask her and i can't believe i haven't said this on this podcast before but um I'm going to just like get on my soapbox for a minute. But if you think somebody's thinking about hurting themselves or at risk, ask them. Mm-hmm. People don't want to ask somebody if they're thinking about suicide or if they're having thoughts about homicide yeah. because they're scared. Yeah. But, and they're also the, these thoughts that people think like, I'm going to put this idea into their head and then they're, right. I'm going to start it. Right. They're, they're, they, we put too much power in the word. Exactly. I've been, I've been exactly. told that in my own therapy sessions too, where, yeah. um, not necessarily for me, but like, you know, sometimes my uh, my therapist was like, if 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 you're if you're if you're with somebody that has thought about it, you know, oftentimes using the word suicide in that conversation, not don't beat around the bush, like right. you're thinking about you know in your life yeah. or whatever, yeah. you know, because there's there, I think that maybe this is the other way, but there is weight in that w- word as there well, is, yeah. and sometimes it's so jarring that. It, it does kind of pull them out of it or something like that, you know. Yeah. But this is just from my sort of like on the receiving end of therapy type totally. of like experience. Totally. And sometimes people like, I mean, I've asked, um, are you having thoughts of like wanting to kill yourself or uh, die by suicide? I've asked that like a thousand times, mm. two thousand times in my life. Mm-hmm. And sometimes people are genuinely like grateful that somebody broke the barrier first. Yeah. They're like, oh my God, yes. Like I don't, I didn't want to say it because I feel crazy. But, um, and so it's, it's important to ask because people oftentimes, if they're having those thoughts, they don't want to share it with somebody else or they have this idea that they're going to burden someone right. or that the other person's going to think they're insane. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it's really important just to directly ask um, and then kind of go from there. So with him, I mean, my big critique on him is I think that he didn't take care of her safety concerns, mm-hmm. um, which proved out to be true. Right. She didn't fare very well, but um, a question. Um, yeah. Even going back to going back to what you were saying about voices telling somebody to hurt somebody right. or hurt themselves, how often do people in psychosis are they more susceptible to like obeying that or listening to that? Do you know what I mean? Because if I was me and you were like, "Yeah, mm-hmm. you should go kill that person," yeah, I mean, depending on who it is, I'm just kidding. But like, I, yeah. I, I <laughs> me being more sensible, I'd be like, "No, right?" Like, what the what the fuck are you talking about? Totally, you know, but like. Is it because they're a more vulnerable state or, I mean, obviously, I don't know, but like, could you, could you yeah. maybe explain that a little more? 
or sure. going to that. For sure. So I think that um, there could be a lot of different things for, for the individual. But and, and one thing I want to say, like my previous comments, I want to be very clear, like people who have psychotic disorders or experience some sort of psychosis, um, they are way more likely to be the victim of a violent crime than they are to perpetuate or perpetrate a violent okay. crime on somebody else. But there is just like a little elevated risk sometimes um, in in certain situations where there's command hallucinations. I see. Okay. So so somehow sometimes like is how that plays out is that you know somebody is um, hearing a voice they hear it once and they're like that's weird I might be going crazy or they hear it a couple times and they get really freaked out. But um, sometimes these voices are relentless and it's just every day, constantly telling you to do things. And they, they sometimes will get their hooks in through, um, sometimes these hallucinations will, tell, will use like religion or a value system or right. political beliefs to make the person believe that like this is life or death and you have, you're going right. to save people, okay. right? You're going to help people yeah. or like you're going to do God's work or something yeah, like yeah, that, yeah. right? So it kind of feeds into other things. And then there's other symptoms. So like when you have schizophrenia or when you have schizoaffective disorder, or if you have a psychosis relating to like bipolar disorder, um, you could experience a whole host of other mood symptoms, right? Mm -hmm. Um, so you could be really depressed and hearing all of these voices at okay. once, right? Yeah. So you could be more vulnerable. You could be more vulnerable. Um, and, and also like it, it's not just, um, audio hallucinations. Sometimes it's visual hallucinations sometimes it's um what we call olfactory hallucinations which is scent mm -hmm. and sometimes it's ta tactile so you yeah. feel it okay and that can be like completely horrifying yeah I, yeah yeah i had um and i think the most pain that i've ever seen anyone in is i had a client um in an emergency department who was having um tactile hallucinations that she was getting burned alive oh jeez. right yeah so there's nothing like eventually she needed to be like like fully sedated. Yeah. Um, and when you are, when your brain is translating that much pain. Okay. So it's not, your body's not feeling it, but your brain's translating right. that much pain. The toll that that takes on your body is very real. Mm -hmm. And so it's not like you have to take care of the person's mental state so right. that their body doesn't go into shock. Right. So did, it can be really complicated. Yeah. I did want to take a, uh, a second to really appreciate what you were saying earlier, too, about how... Because I, I feel like wanted to emphasize this sort of, like... Or even destigmatize, like, those sort of... Psych, uh, those psychosis, right? That mm -hmm. psychosis where... Because I think there is this impression that some people that have psychosis are hearing voices that are telling them to... To hurt people or right. whatever, right? And right. so I, I do, I do appreciate that, and and that's part of what we wanted to do on this podcast is to be able to talk about some mental illnesses without it, and and even, and we'll do this in a different move with a different movie probably, but um to to even be able to dissect like what's shown in movies and say, hey, this is actually more accurate, right? Right. Than to what uh, symptoms of PTSD is like right. or psychosis or whatever, right. and so just wanted to take the extra opportunity again to say. You know, again, like not all hallucinations or whatever are always what you see on TV either. Right. Um, and um, again, these are Ill like illnesses and they're harmful. It sucks for the person in them, right? They're not the ones to fear. Right. You know, and so. Absolutely. Um, yeah, just 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 wanted to state that because you. you know it is yeah. kind of early in the pod, so we wanted to. We're still feeling feeling it out, feeling things out, but um, yeah, just wanted to 
even a reminder for us. I love that. Thank you. And I think too, like while we're talking about hallucinations, just like a quick side note, um, that you don't have to have a psychotic disorder to have a hallucination. Mm -hmm. Hallucinations can come from a million different things. They can come from medication, but they can also come from like times of extreme stress. Mm. Right. Okay. So people sometimes if they have like severe major depression, um, they can have hallucinations. Actually, the client that I was referring to earlier who had the have had the fire. Uh, tactile fire hallucination, um, that person actually had no psychotic disorder. She oh, had severe okay. depression. Dang. And it was that severe, right? To the point where she was having hallucinations. Um, there's also, for people who have experienced trauma, like PTSD, oftentimes people who have post-traumatic stress disorder get diagnosed with a psychotic disorder because like flashbacks or hypervigilance mm. Um, sometimes people feel somebody behind them or they hear voices or yeah. even they have flashbacks um, and they think that they're in a different place, right? Mm -hmm. And that's a completely different thing. That's, that's a different kind of psychosis. Um, another thing is uh, people who have lost someone. Like oftentimes people in grief will see like their loved one at the yeah. foot of their bed or yeah. hear their voice or, you know, think they've seen them or something. And that's normal. Have we seen that in a film yet? I don't think so. Maybe. Yeah, I can't remember. I don't think so. Yeah. But that's that's also common. So I also want to say that to say that if you have a hallucination, <laughs> there's a lot of things that can cause it. And it's honestly something that happens to a lot of people. Yeah. So it's not something that you have to necessarily panic about. And it's in this... Um, especially like when, you know, you took acid last week. Especially if you're going acid, <laughs> right? Like you might have a flashback, acid flashback. No, um, but the the thing in Suspiria is I would think that Patricia, um, when she came into the doctor's office, like my thought was like maybe she was in shock. Like that's kind of the presentation. It kind of looked like right. she was having like a traumatic mm -hmm. shock moment yeah, where yeah, she yeah. couldn't quite put her words together. And she was and a she little was like, like, like disoriented Completely too, disoriented. And like a little frazzled. Yeah. The thing that I also really liked that this movie did with the psychologist or the psychoanalyst was they talked, um, he talked to Sarah, another one of the girls in the school, mm -hmm. um, trying to say something shady going on with yeah. Patricia. Um, and he said, he mentioned like some really, I think, interesting topics. Mm -hmm. He mentioned um, that he thought that she had a delusion that they were witches. Yeah. Right. Um, which I think is also important. Like if somebody's coming to you and saying something completely bizarre, um, you know, I don't think that, I think that we should be hesitant to, to call them delusions. I think we should be, uh, we should be curious about them first well, yeah, instead yeah. of making that judgment that it's not happening. Yeah. Rather than completely writing it off. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. And, and one of the witches actually says this later and she says, um, when women tell you the truth, you don't pity them. You tell them they ha are just having delusions, mm -hmm. right? Which I really appreciated that too of like her being a young woman coming to, yeah. you know, an older psychoanalyst. To like, well, it's the classic, you know, back then when women were going through stuff and had legitimate mental illness or something, right. they were just labeled as hysterical. <laughs> hysterical yeah. women. Yeah, yeah. She's just hysterical. These yeah. bitches are hysterical. But he also mentioned, so when Sarah said, like, Sarah asked him, do you think that they think that they're witches? And he mentioned something, which is actually like a a, like a real psychological phenomenon he said well maybe you know people can share delusions and there's mm -hmm. actually something called foulet a deux and it's a french term that means like it means the fool of two people or something right. um which isn't 
a great term, but it means that some people can like share a delusion. I've heard about this. The like uh, actually there there was accusations of that for COVID. Yes. Too. Uh, group hysteria or something. Group hysteria, like, right? Man. Where it's just like, but it, it does happen in like uh, I think younger younger people, right? Like whether I think sometimes uh, uh, friend groups of young women like can get into uh, eating disorders, right. and you know, like we can share things like that. We're social yeah, animals, exactly, yeah. and and we and feed off of each other. And not sometimes. just the ladies, but like even. I mean, I think the little dudes are, you know, they pull each other into shit all the time. Yeah. And like, you just get into it and yeah. Uh, But yeah, we are social animals. And so therefore, like, we we tend to sort of adapt and adjust like ourselves and whatever it is. Yeah. Yeah. And we can share like in, we can believe things to the point where they, they appear true to us. Mm -hmm. Um, We can we can influence our stimuli actually because our brains are incredibly powerful and they translate all of the stimuli that we're taking in from the world. So of course that they have the ability to, you know, mess around with how it's translated. Yeah. Um, which, and I thought that that was really interesting because it was easier for him in some ways to believe that it was like a shared delusional disorder, which is actually, it's not super common. Right. Right. Uh, we see it a lot in like group dynamics for sure. But, like, between, like, one or two people or a small group of people, you know, coming through things, we can share things like trauma. We can share things like depression. Um, but typically, delusions are, are harder to share. Mm-hmm. And so, for him to believe that, like, it would be more likely that this house full of women had a shared delusion, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I think, you know, part of that's understandable because who believes in witches? <laughs> right. I was going to say that. It's like, yeah, yeah. you... Witches aren't real, or not, I don't want to offend anybody because right because yeah. you know there are there are people who practice like Wicca and mm-hmm. they identify themselves as witches mm-hmm. and obviously that's real and there are people who practice magic and all that stuff but but also like it is it did seem like a fantastical story that Patricia right. was telling and so like we had to give him some credit with that like it's right like yeah it was fantastical yeah. and at the same time he refused to entertain that it wasn't some sort of delusion. Really. Right. And it could have been some, even if we're being realistic about it, right? Not yeah. in the world of the movie, it could have been something in the middle where sure may not yeah. have been something as fantastical as witches, but there could have been some weird abuse conspiracy yeah. at the dance company, right? right. And so that. Some in, in ritual that, or something. Right. In that you know sense, I mean? he it might have been have overlooked like, that. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, and, I, and I think that that kind of goes to the pat, like, also, like, the dynamics, because he was talking about what I, I thought was really on point. Um, again, the psychoanalyst, he said that, you know, manipulation and love can often exist in the same house. Mm-hmm. They're often, like, very close. Right. Um, and, and I thought that that was, like, a really interesting kind of, like, narrative for that. Because that, um, I think on, on the one hand, that's, that's kind of like a bummer, man. Like, yeah. that's kind of like a, you know, kind of pessimistic way to look at love. But also, it's true. Yeah, I think it's part of the human condition, right? It's not just necessarily love within even a house, right? Like, it's Mm -hmm. it's just kind of part of who we are. Or I guess manipulation isn't always even part of love, too, right? Like, they're they're just so intertwined into us as humans. Yeah, and I think with terms like manipulation, too, like, I always try... to use different words because I think manipulation has like such a negative connotation. Mm-hmm. 
So like sometimes I'll try to think of like what is it actually? Like the manipulation is like a big umbrella term. Right. But what are they actually trying to do? Yeah. They're trying to influence somebody's behavior to mm-hmm. benefit them, maybe in this situation. Right. Or they're trying to take advantage maybe of somebody's right. um like power, right. like they did in this movie, right? Or they're in a place of desperation. Or they're trying to use their fucking resources. Yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah. But I get frustrated in like a clinical setting because working at a hospital, you see like, I will go through like my clients' like medical records and there'll be all this like manipulative, manipulative in the system. Right. Like there's a term called malingering right. um, or secondary gain. And all yeah. of those terms try to are saying that the client's trying to abuse the system to get what's not theirs, right? Well, this goes back to one of the main themes of again why we're doing this podcast too right and and something you said in the first episode was horror movies is an illustration oftentimes of survival yes and so so sure it's you can see it as manipulation if it it depends on where what power position you're in right and and especially in the system that you're in you know to to say a, uh, a client is being manipulative is almost positionally um, dishonest to who the clients are, right? Yes. It's like, well, they're they're the they're the fucking client. Yeah, they they're trying to do everything they can to to help themselves, even though that method is imperfect or that's we know yeah. that that's not the way to do it. They don't, this and they're how doing they got the only met. yeah, they're doing whatever they can to to try to figure it out. Totally, you know, totally, totally. And I think like. And I, yeah, so I, I'm with you on that. And I think sometimes it can be, um, in that clinical setting, sometimes I feel like yelling at clinicians and saying, um, and my notation's not perfect. I'm not trying to say that, right? I have a lot of things that I can improve on that way. But like specifically with manipulation, I want to say like, no, you're manipulating the client's record to make the problem the client right. and not you, right? right? And, and like and what kind you of weren't able, because exactly, you're just writing not, it off. You weren't able to provide for this person, yeah. right? Or what you were not able to, like what he wanted that he wouldn't, wasn't able to get Mm -hmm. or what she wanted. So I think, yeah, there's a lot, there's a lot there for sure. And the language that we use can be really impactful. And I think one other word that they use in this movie a lot that I thought like might be fun to talk about is like the word mother. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's a big group of women. The the, most of the cast in the movie is women. The, other than the uh, the psychoanalyst who's a guy and some a uh, couple of cops. Yeah. But it, it's actually mainly a women, uh, a female cast. I was thinking about this as we were watching. Like, not a lot of people, like, not a lot of movies pass like the Bechtel test. Have you ever heard of that? Yeah. Yeah. Where it's, it's like how many women talk to each other. Yeah. How many women are talking to each other and not about men too? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right. <laughs> so in the movie, like. And how many women carry the storyline? And in this movie, it's like the men are like all secondary characters. Yeah, possibly. I was just going to say like, that. Yeah. Like the movie could have existed without all of them. Right. Even the psychoanalyst, like he, yeah. he moves something, but he, you know, we could have just done movie troupe. Uh, not movie troupe. Uh, dance, dance troupe. troupe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it could have existed just in that. Exactly. Exactly. So this movie definitely passes the Bechtel test. And there is um, a lot of talk about like what being a woman is and what being a mother is mm-hmm. and like they they use the term mother as in like the the three heads of the coven yeah. or the three heads of the the program that are the dance company that are the three most powerful witches right and there's yeah. some sort of like discussion about how these women kind of give power to the whole coven yeah and um and there's the the three moms the three mothers 
are um, the three moms. <laughs> the three moms. That's not right. The three mothers are uh, Mother Blanc, mm-hmm. right? Um, Mother Marcos mm-hmm. and uh, Mother Suspiria. Yeah. Right. Suspirium. Suspirium. Um, so Suspirium or Suspiria, she we do not see her, and there's like a conversation that she's coming. Right, mm-hmm. but the two mothers that we actually, well, see. the one mother that we get to see right away is Mother Blanc, mm-hmm. and that's Tilda Swinton. Swinton, classic. She's great. Love her. Um, and then uh, we eventually get to see Mother Marcos, who's not doing so well. She's yeah. not looking great. Yeah. She has weird baby hands all over her body, that kind of freaked me out. She was Jabba the Hutt. She was, yeah, yeah, with with weird appendages, um, and then. The third mother is the mother Suspiria, or Suspirium. Mm-hmm. Um, so Mother Marcos actually got her power from Mother Suspirium. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's this this idea that the power lies in the mother. Mm-hmm. The mother takes care of her daughters, yeah. right? Which is the coven. Yeah. Um, and there's this role. It's the the role of motherhood is kind of described as like powerful. Yeah. Um, a lot of responsibility, um, and a lot of authority and autonomy, like. Like, it's the role, right? Like, mm-hmm. it's the top of the food chain. Yeah. Um, and when our girl, Susie, when it's finally revealed um, that she is actually has been Mother Suspiria yeah. this whole time, yeah. right? But she had to, and this is kind of also, like, parallels some, like, like, uh, like Wiccan and also, like, kind of, like, witch mythology mm-hmm. about like you need to tap into your shadow side in order to access your power mm-hmm. so there's this kind of moment where like um Susie's eyes go black and mm-hmm. it's kind of like this idea that she like taps into this like carnal kind of part of herself yeah. this like um this the, her shadow side right and yeah. that's when she's like accessing the power I guess of Mother Suspiria and then after that it's like kind of a free for all she's just the the head Witch in charge, you know? Witch in charge. H.W. <laughs> um, so, yeah, and that's really interesting. I think the way that they talk about motherhood is, like, very, very interesting. And the, the way that they don't talk about fatherhood at all. Right, which, which I was going to say, and I'm not sure if I'm the right person to say this, <laughs> meaning I'm the dude, but I, it's, always, it's interesting because it removes the, the, the male element out of... Uh, like com- total female Completely. environment, and I think there was a certain. Uh, well, it's it's a it's it's a, it's a work of fiction, but a sort of like, sort of study in a vacuum, right? Where right. it's like, let's take all the guys out and see, like, sure, yes, girls, oftentimes can be supportive of each other, but often and also sometimes they butt heads and they have conflict and exactly. that's very real too you know? women can be terrible to each other too hashtag women, feminism women supporting women man <laughs> <laughs> yeah and I, and one of the things that Suspiria does is, or one of the things that Spiria does I guess Mother Suspiria Suspirium she calls death into yeah like their their chamber where they're performing the rituals yeah and death uh, death has some has some stuff that he does yeah he murks some people. Sure, death wasn't a she. <laughs> oh, I'm so sexist. Yeah. 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 Death could, death was probably a she, right? But anyway, uh, death comes in and kills all of the followers of Mother Marcos. Yeah. 
Because, like, they look at Mother Marcos as, like, the, the contaminant, right? Right, yeah. And kills everybody that voted for her because they had a vote earlier and yeah. killed all her supporters, too. Killed all of her supporters, right. And then, um, but Suspiria doesn't kill them. She summons death to kill them. Right. Suspiria kills the three girls that were um, Olga, Patricia, and Sarah, mm-hmm. right? And Suspiria does that in a very kind way where she, yeah. like, comes up to them and says, like, what do you ask or what do you wish? Mm. Um, and they say death. And then she, like, kisses them and, like, places them on the floor. So instead of exploding yeah, like everyone else. Yeah, brain gets microwaved. Yeah. Uh, they get this kind of, like, peaceful death. And so it's, like, kind of another way that she's, like, oh, my daughter's, like. Yeah. She's in this caring role, even though she invited all of this death in. Right. right? And she's killing them. And she's actually the one that gave the order to kill everybody. Right. Um, but there's this idea that she somehow has compassion, um, which I think was something they were trying to say about this powerful mother role, too. Yeah. Um, but I really liked that they... I love when movies show women as, like, full-rounded characters. Right. Like... They're very complex. They're not, like, put in this box of, like, oh, she's the Amish girl or, oh, she's, like, the mother demon, right? Right, right. Like, they're That their personality between women and they don't just play one singular role in a movie. Yeah, and I rant about this to you a lot, but I think, like, Gillian Flynn's books, too, like, uh, Gone Girl Um, uh, and Dark Places uh and Sharp Objects, like, those, she kind of takes on that goal um and i've seen some interviews where she talks about like my goal is to show violence between women like violence that's perpetuated by women Mm, okay um and i think that that's like such an interesting topic because i don't think that we can really talk about like who women are and like gender roles and social roles if we just talk about like oh women in the kitchen taking care of the babies you know what i mean like i think that our i like social the social construction of women especially in the united states is like from like a victim role and not a perpetrator role, right? right? And so it's really interesting to see these like works of like horror, yeah, that are talking about like that women are powerful and scary. It's just like a yeah. I have a lot of opinions about this. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> oh man. So, no, but yeah, yeah it's absolutely. Great. Um, I don't have any opinions about this. I'm just here for the ride. <laughs> it's great to watch. No, I Gone mean, Girl yeah. was great. This was cool, you know. But yeah, I think it does give it like even even to watch though to see that there's different personalities on the screen right. And, right. And, and different motivations and right. and different ways that people react um, is it, great. Yeah. yeah, yeah, super interesting. And like I always love to say, women supporting women, man. <laughs> Women microwaving women's brains. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, that was dope. That I do want to say the movie is a, it's beautiful. And yeah. like as far as a horror goes, like it was barely there because it was like, yeah, okay, pretty gory. And I think yeah. you mentioned that there were some reviews online where people kind of like a little bit quote unquote traumatized by Yeah, the they had some like screenings and then people were like throwing up and stuff. But I didn't I mean, and I'm my threshold for that's pretty high anyway. Yeah, mine's pretty low, um, but it wasn't. It was beautiful. It was a beautiful movie. Like it was aesthetically well done. Yeah. And so, the it was like when gore is too well done, it's almost like it's prettier than it's scary. Exactly. It doesn't seem, and and I think that that's the violence in this movie didn't seem real almost. It was like it was almost like like manga ish or like yeah it was it was yeah because it was a it was a. 
towards the end, she was just like exploding people. And I was like, yeah. when does that happen? You don't see that, right? right. And you don't, it removes you from the reality of what it is or could be. And so you're just yeah. like, okay, which exploding brains? I, cool. cool, sure. Yeah. yeah. There's you blood know. everywhere. Okay. I'll buy a t-shirt of that, but I, uh, <laughs> you know, I'm not like, I'm not going to have nightmares about it. Yeah. And I, and I think that that's kind of like the, like my take on the gore too was it was just like, it was more fantastical than yeah. I thought, like disturbing. Yeah. And like, I didn't think it was like very realistic. Yeah. Um, I mean, not that I would know. It wasn't it, like, and you know, they had nice touches, of course. Like, yeah. The blood was, I think, a decent color if you really want to get into it, right? Sure. And some of the we stuff was intestines. pretty, yeah, pretty gnarly sure. still, you know, it was gnarly for sure. But it was, at the end of the day, it was a beautiful movie over it being gory. Right. Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. Um, Who were you in the movie? I think... I think I was the girl, Sarah. I think I was... She... She seemed caring, and, and I, I'd hoped that I'd be that type of person to somebody new in a social environment. Yeah. You know, I, yeah. And uh, she seemed earnest, and even her disbelief at whether it was a, a coven or not, but then her willingness to go explore and stuff like that, and just the way that she had done. I'm She was, like, very upfront, genuine. Yeah, I have no illusions about who I am in the world and who I am in horror movies, and I'm not going to be the hero. I'm always going to get be one of the first people killed. So, Me either, man. Yeah, so I'd, I'd be somebody dead. Um, I'd be so a dead I'd, person. Uh, yeah, so I'd say I'm sir. How about you? I love that because I think I'm Patricia. Okay. 100%. First of all, she was uh, politically pretty militant. <laughs> oh, right, right. She, <laughs> she was involved. Uh, yeah. yeah, she was involved. The Red in Army the... faction and like, um, which I wouldn't be. I want to be very clear yeah, on that. Yeah. But, but she I wasn't sympathetic to that political that thing. That political like, thing, just, right. I'm not going to turn on, you know, violent. Yeah, I'm just a different political radicalism. Sure. Um, she was politically like radical, um, and she was like ambitious, right? She was like the head dancer yeah. and then kind of got tried screwed. to get away. Yeah. yeah tried she to get tried away to get away and got didn't work out. She got screwed. Um, and I feel like I would, I would totally be, cause if, if stuff started happening like that, where I started hearing people's voices in my head or yeah. lost my vision or people were taking my blood or whatever, um, I would freak out. Fair enough. I wouldn't be like Suspiria and be like, cool, let's do this. I'd be like, <laughs> yeah, nah, yeah, yeah, yeah. Peace, buddy. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, and uh, just a quick little announcement. Um, the Matron actually has updated our website, matronsaintofnightmares.com. Um, that is matronsaintofnightmares.com uh, with some mental health resources. Because, um, you know, again, this, this web, uh, website, this podcast is meant to be yeah, it's coming from a mental health standpoint. And, you know, sometimes we're good at that on the pod, sometimes we're not, but, you know, we're working, working on it. But we have a website, and um, there's some resources for, you know, suicide prevention, mm -hmm. but there's a few links, and we're, we're, it's, a, it's a work in progress, but um, just wanted to direct you guys over to there. And uh, the matron also writes a little blurb about the, the films that we watch. Um, mm -hmm. And, that includes uh, more resources to yeah. some of the mental health themes that we talk about too. Yeah. Um, so I just just wanted to direct you guys in that direction um, before we signed off. Um, and uh, so until next time, sweet dreams. Sweet dreams. <laughs>